Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. How are we doing? So, man, there's just so much going on, and I, I'm, it's awesome. And it's so great to see so many of you here, too. It's a holiday weekend, and you guys are here, and it's wonderful. And, you know, I just appreciate, I appreciate the, our, our ushers and our tech team and our greeters. Could you give those guys a hand? Yeah. I just watch them, and they're just trying to make sure you get to your seat, and they want to make you feel comfortable and welcome and all that kind of stuff, and it's just great. Hey, um, if you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 3, and as you're turning there, I got to give you some cool stuff. So I have a huge announcement, and it has to do with Easter. So, you know, I know it's only February, but Easter's coming, and Easter's coming April 21st. It's my mom's birthday, by the way, and uh, April 21st, and so we decided, you know, last year we had such a great time out on the lawn. It was so amazing. We had like 1,600 people and two services as opposed to the normal five, and everybody was happy, but the problem is we thought, you know, it's going to be later and warmer because the second service, we had to do two services, and the second service got, was getting a little hot. We were, we were fortunate because the cloud cover, but you never know. So we thought, well, what do we do? Because we don't want to go backwards and just do five services again. And so we thought about it and thought about it and asked some questions and, sh- and I looked around, and we have signed a contract. We are spending this Easter at the Goodyear Ballpark. Yeah. That's awesome. Like, look at that. Easter at the ballpark, baby. So we're going for it. And uh, so this is going to be like, everybody that hears about this goes, oh, I'm going to be there. I think there's like other churches that are just going to cancel their Easter services and come over with us because it's going to be so much fun. So anyways, one service, 9.30 a.m., bring everyone in your life. And we're going to have food trucks afterwards, an Easter egg hunt, inflatables for the kids, and it's just going to be amazing. Now, so I just wanted to like be the first one to tell you that. So we're going to have more information for you as the days, as the weeks come closer. Now, we've been on this series, and I wanted you to know what happened on our campus last Thursday because it's very important This is Will and Amanda. There was a wedding that we had here on Thursday, but you have to know the story. This young couple found our church through the Halloween block party. Um, I I don't know if it was this year or the year before, because they didn't start coming right away. It's kind of like, hey, this is a cool church. You know, they do the Halloween. We have this big thing we do, like 3,000 people show up. And and they said, you know, um, if we ever go to church, this is the church we want to go to. And, you know, kind of life happened for them. And next thing you know, they started, several months ago, they started coming to our church. And so they've been living together for quite some time and, you know, not married. And they have a couple kids, as you can see. Um, We're kind of cycling through some of the pictures. And uh, through a series of events, they started attending here. And when they did, they they were kind of were challenged, like, you know, maybe we should get married. And so he proposed to her, but it was kind of like, okay, well, let's get married. But they did one of those things where let's get married, but let's not have a, a date, you know? So when you get proposed, but when's the, when you ever ask someone, when's the date? Well, I don't know. It's like, okay, well, are you really serious about getting married? And, and truthfully, a lot of it was like, well, financially, they're just the way the government structures things tax-wise and with some certain benefits and the situation that they were in was kind of almost preventative for them. Like it would be worse financially for them to get married. 
And so Mike, uh, Pastor Mike started talking to them and I started talking to them and we just kind of got to know their story a little bit and Gabe and, and all of a sudden we kind of said, you know, we're a high challenge church here and, and we're not messing around. So we said, well, hey, you know, what, what if you guys, you know, you, you come through the sermons and whatnot and what if you guys got married? And so, so Will, you know, decided, hey, I, I think we had to set the date and, and she got on board. And so they said, well, can we get married earlier? And uh, what about if we got married Valentine's Day? But they didn't have any, any plans. You know, a lot of times you have to do this. So our staff jumped in and we said, no, listen, if you guys want to get married, we'll do everything possible. So in the pouring rain on Valentine's Day, it was like, you know, the notebook or whatever, you know, everyone was saying, it's like a notebook. I never remember. I don't really, I saw that movie once and I was asleep. But, um, Sorry. But in the crowd, you know, you see family and friends and a whole bunch of people from their connection group. Zerati did the ceremony, did a fantastic job. I mean, I, even, I was getting choked up and I'm like, it's the rain, you know, it's the rain. But, uh, but it was powerful. It was moving. And Andrew, our, our middle school pastor, did the music. And, and Gabe's wife, Jess, took these amazing pictures. And we created this beautiful event like out of nothing so they could be a part of it, so that, so that they could get married. And, and it was like so powerful for them. And I asked them, of course, I wanted to do a video and they're like, please no. And so I said, well, can I at least show some pictures? And so they gave me permission. But I wanted you to see this because now the, the, these young children have a mother and a father who've committed themselves to one another for life. And so in this town, we have one more married couple, one more committed relationship that's not just playing house. Now, when you see this happening in our community, that's how you know that we're winning. You have to understand that. We are influencing our culture because, see, what we have is beautiful. The opposite is nothing. There's nothing. No one buys you a present when you say you're moving in with somebody. Oh, can we have a shower for you? No, people don't do that. kind. Of, it's like, oh, that's cool, you know, whatever. But when you get married, everybody knows this is something real that's happening, and, and it, creates, it just creates beauty. And so you need to know this because... Um, this is what, when, when, you, when you serve here, when you attend here, when you give here, you, it's, it's all about making stuff like this happen, building um, the fabric of our town. And so this is, this, our church is making a difference in people's lives. And so, you know, and I only say this as well because if you're interested, maybe you're in that situation, and if you want to follow Will and Amanda, and then you say, you know when you want to follow their footsteps and say, hey, maybe we should get married too, you know, talk to it. We're not going to become like a, we can't become a wedding chapel here, but you know what? I mean, this is an important thing. It was very simple and, and the way we did it, but it was powerful and beautiful the way that it was done. And so this is a perfect segue into part two of our sermon, which is battle of the sexes, as we're dealing with the consequences of Adam and Eve rejecting God and wanting to do their, their th things their own way. And when you do things your own way, you create all kinds of chaos in the world, and it really creates all this confusion about what are we supposed to be doing here anyway? What is our relationship supposed to be about? What are we supposed to be aiming towards? And so we said last week that when you reject God, you inject into the world things like fear and shame and isolation. And these are realities that were not there when God made the world and realities that divide us from one another. So God's going to get very specific with Adam and very specific with Eve about this brave new world that now they're now going to occupy as a result of their decision, of their choice to live apart from him. Because the reality is sin carries consequences. And, and, and that's what we have to understand. But God still loves us, and we'll see later on that he rescues us every single day, and we can reverse a lot of these effects as we follow him. 
So in the fact, while this section of the Bible sometimes is thought of as like the curses, there's really no curses at all given to Adam and Eve. Only the serpent is cursed. See, God doesn't curse us, okay? He never curses the woman. He never curses the man. He only curses the serpent. And that's important to understand as we talk about consequences. But if you want to understand why men and women have so many, so such difficulty understanding one another and why our needs tend to be different and why we fight a lot and how marriages end up so stale and, and broken and boring and awful and terrible, you have, to, you have to have this chapter and these verses as like the underlying understanding of the problem that we are in now. And so he starts first after he's spoken to the servant, he talks to Eve, and in verse 16, he says this to her. I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. That's a bummer. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, this is a very controversial and very misunderstood passage, but it's extremely foundational if we're going to understand the challenges that women face, that you ladies go through. And so what I would say from this passage is this. The consequence for the woman is directed at her family relationships, primarily her children and her husband, meaning that, that the, 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 the scar that the woman is going to carry, the main burden or judgment from the fall is going to be centered and, and focused on her relationships with her family because that's where she tends to find her core identity and meaning and value in life. Now he says, I'll make your pains in childbearing very severe. Now we can assume that the pain of childbirth wouldn't even be there before the fall. You know, God created you guys to, to bear children and that, that, you know, there wouldn't be pain before the fall. But the, what's important to understand is that the idea of childbearing, it's not just the act of delivering a baby itself. I've never given birth, but I've seen it three times with my wife, with each one of our three kids. And let me tell you, I wouldn't trade places with that woman for all the tea in China, right? It's a terrible, horrible thing, right? It's, even if you get an epidural, it still looks terribly painful. So I wouldn't want to go there, okay? But it's not just the physical act of pain that, that comes from, the pain that results from the physical act of bearing children. It's the whole concept of, of raising and caring for and giving your heart to this life. It's a wonderful and beautiful thing, but ladies, childbearing, as you know, is a strain on your life. And women understand this. We wouldn't have, you know, 50 million abortions in America if women didn't see the acts of bearing children and raising children as a very severe thing. It changes everything. It changes your priorities. It makes you vulnerable. It changes your body. It totally re reorganizes your life. And for many women, the very thing that they were made to do, I mean, biologically made to do is to bear and to carry and to, and to love this child becomes something that becomes a great and terrible burden oftentimes because it requires everything of you. Your identity is tied up in your children. You have to watch them make choices that break your heart and watch other people hurt them. And even, if, even women that aren't able to have children, even that is a huge source of pain. And so children, where, while, while women are, are made, obviously, to bear children and to find great joy in it, there's still going to be joy, but there's also going to be a tremendous amount of pain. Now, men need to understand this, because obviously, for, you know, we love our children, too, and there's, I mean, there's the very deep love that men can have. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that for, for women, it's, it, it is something qualitatively a little bit different. 
And, and in a culture where we've tried to separate sex from children, what happens is men will take advantage and say, well, you know, hey, let's go ahead. And so one night of passion, having sex, you know, it p- invariably puts this woman in a place where she could end up carrying a child that will, that will affect her for the rest of her life. The man can run away. The man can walk away. The man can say, hey, I wash my hands of this. It's not my problem. I don't have to carry the child. But the woman does. And so guys need to understand that when we talk about sex and its place in marriage, largely it is because the consequences for the women on this end are are massively greater. The implications are massively greater. And we know this because there's so many single moms and the guy is able to bail and it's not right. But the second part though, and so you kind of understand that, okay, we understand, and, it, and it's, it's a blessing, but it's also, in a sense, it's a curse where it's, it, it's, it's a lot of pain. It's not an actual God cursing her, but it's a burden that women have to bear. And so women can kind of understand that part of it and say, okay, that's a bummer in this new world that we're living in. But the second part is a little more problematic because it says your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, there's been all kinds of confusion about this. Some people have said that the word desire means sexual desire. That the woman will be so sexually drawn to her husband that she just can't help herself and the husband will rule over her because, you know, she just can't keep her hands off of him. Now, while that might be true in my case, um, what? What? You don't understand. I mean, I sit there and go, honey, can't we just have an emotional conversation, you know? I swear, I just feel like an object sometimes. I'm in a lot of trouble later on. Um, Now, anyway, I obviously am joking about that. But it's like, that's kind of a dumb explanation because it's not true, okay? It just doesn't show up in real life. But there's, so there's other views of like, what does this word desire actually mean? And what is the point of this? And ironically, there's a a woman, a biblical scholar named Susan Foe, who wrote in the Westminster Theological Journal back in 1975, and she seems to have cracked the code on this. Because she says the key to understanding this this, this whole uh, word desire and this understanding of what it means, you have to look 15 verses later at Genesis chapter 4 when God is speaking to Cain. And he says this to Cain. He says, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And that word desire is the same word that's used in chapter three regarding Eve. And the idea is sin's desire is to control you, but you must control it. It's a power struggle. And so the same concept is what was communicated here. And so to quote Susan Foe on this, she says, the woman has the same sort of desire for her husband that sin has for Cain, a desire to possess or control him. This desire disputes the headship of the husband, and these words mark the beginning of the battle of the sexes in our aptly named sermon here. So the rule of love found in paradise is now replaced by struggle, tyranny, and domination. Now, the reason for this power struggle, the reason for the, this, this idea that she wants to be able to dominate and control him and will have a propensity to do that is because she's trying to answer a question that she didn't have to answer before because it was clear. But now in this brave new world, she's going to wonder. And the question that every woman deep down asks is this, am I beautiful? Am I beautiful? And you know, I've raised two daughters. I have one who's 15 and one who's 12. 
And they are very, very different in, in their personalities and their temperaments, but they are so incredibly similar and unique. And I didn't have to teach them anything. All I know is that both of them have, when they were, especially when they were really little, you know, came out wearing these dresses and put on these long gowns and paraded themselves around. Hey, Daddy, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. And can you imagine if I was just like, yeah, that's cool, whatever. Or I wasn't there. Or, you know, I don't have time to look at you right now. I'm busy. Because the question that every woman comes out of the womb asking is, am I beautiful? And see, it starts from the beginning. It's not something that society teaches them. Don't give me that garbage. Society has to unteach them that. Society has to beat them out of that. Society, you know, a lot of college classes and a lot of money spent in, in uh, student loan debt has to convince you that it doesn't really matter if you're beautiful or not to you. But it's not true. And so what happens is, Ladies, you have to stop and, and you have to know this about yourself and you have to ask the question, where am I looking for the answer to that question? And guys, parents, mothers and fathers, where, where are you training your daughters to look for the answer to that question? You know, we're so quick to criticize young women for dressing provocatively, you know? And we go, oh, they shouldn't dress like that. And maybe they shouldn't dress like that. But you also have to ask, why are they dressing like that? What, are they, what, what, what kind of attention are they trying to get? And what is it motivated by? Because the scripture makes it clear that one way or the other, one of the great challenges for women is that their whole sense of identity is going to be tied to what the man thinks and says about them. It's like the old country song. The old men sit around and talk about the weather and the old women sit around and talk about the old men. It's just the way that it is. And this affects every level from the macro to the micro. Did you know that according to a study from UC Berkeley, of all places UC Berkeley, that girls without a father in the home will on average start their menstrual cycles earlier? It's not even a question of interpretation. It is a, it is a studied and known fact. The only question is they're trying to figure out is why. And one of the reasons they suggest is that it's the body's form of self-protection. So if the, if the hormones can kick in a little bit earlier, um, so that they can make themselves more alluring to men a little bit earlier. It might protect them and show the men that they're worth, you know, caring for, or they're worth, they can reproduce. And so they have value to the world. It, it's, it's already, it's down to the cellular, biological, molecular level. This is how innate it is. The scientific fact that this, is kind, this kind of thing goes on. It's how rooted it is in creation and the flaw that has, has come about. So then we have to ask ourselves the question, what does it mean when it says that he will rule over her? Is this something that God's saying, too bad, the guy's gonna rule over you and you just gotta deal with it? I don't think so. I think it's descriptive. In other words, you're gonna try to control him, but it's gonna be a catch-22 because the more you're able to control him, and believe me, there's plenty of passive men out there and plenty of very strong women who got their guys wrapped around their little fingers. But you know, ladies, if you're that kind of a woman who has a guy like that, while that might kind of do it for you in the short run, in the long term, that's not what you want. And it's almost like she has more contempt for him the more she's able to control him. The, the less he stands up for himself, the less leadership he takes, the less initiative he has, the more she's able to kind of force him to do what she wants, the less she respects him. So it's a catch-22. You want to dominate, but when you do, it's not what you want. The reality is you want him to love you and care for you, 
but he's going to be imperfect. And as we'll see in a few minutes, why he is this way, he is going to tend to dominate you in his realm as well. And what's really interesting about this when you look at it, so I talked about the molecular level, then you have the personal level, but when you zoom out in the macro cultural level, isn't it fascinating that even in our society today, if you just look and see what's going on, that when we have the freest society that's ever existed for women, the, I mean, by far, okay? And you have more women serving in Congress than there's ever been. And you have more women CEOs and, and, and more women going to college than even men right now. There are more women attending college than men. And even with a culture like that, we, we still have women's marches and massive calls for equality. And even some who say it's never going to be okay for us until we're in charge. And, and it's like, and, it, and what is that? When you step back and you see that, all you see is just, it's just another um, ripple effect of the fall and this power struggle and this idea that there's always going to be this gaping hole in the, in the woman's heart saying, am I beautiful? You must tell me that I am. Am I worth fighting for? Am I worth sacrificing for? Am I worth your attention and your time? Am I worth your care? Please tell me. And I think this is a lot of reasons why there's all this gender confusion going on as well. Not maybe the only reason, but it certainly factors into it. Because if a woman cannot get that love and attention in her feminine way, maybe she just gives up on it altogether and says, well, you know, maybe I'll try another way. Maybe I'll become more like a man. Maybe I'll act more like a man. And she will put aside and squash the feminine heart that God has given her. Why not? Now, all this is, is, is the, uh, the judgment at work. The tension is still there, and it will never go away completely until Jesus returns someday. So if the woman is going to get struck in terms of her family and her relationship to her children and her husband, the man is going to get equally as, uh, hit as hard. But in this case, um, in the relation to, it's in relation to what he was created for. In other words, we said that the man was created to rule the earth. And this is exactly where the fall is going to get him. Just check out what it says in verse 17. It says, to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground. Just like we said, not cursed is Adam, but cursed is the ground. Fascinating, right? Think, when you think about the cursed is the ground for a minute, what does that do? If, the, if God actually curses the ground and everything comes from the ground, the environment, what happens to the molecular structure of the environment? What happens to, to the, to the how, how does the earth begin to get broken? You know, I always say that sin is what, is what caused um, the brokenness in creation. Sin is what caused death. And so you see it right here. The, the gr very ground itself is now corrupt. And he says, through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you will return. So where does Adam get hit? Well, the consequence for the man is directed at his ability to perform and to provide and to rule. That's where he's going to get hit. And the, the question he is going to ask is, do I have what it takes? Am I really a man? Can I do this? And he's going to walk through his life feeling like an imposter. Because Superman just now lives in a world with kryptonite all around him. Right? He ain't Superman anymore. And he knows it. He knows it. Now, 
Ladies, if you understand this, if you understand this, you will understand how a man operates. And you can see that these two questions now are on a crash course with one another. And this is why there's so much failure in relationships today. He's trying to prove to the world that he's got what it takes. Ladies, this is why, guys, this is why we work out. I mean, you guys work out to stay trim. We work out to be the strongest men in the world, okay? That even though we're not going to be, we wish we were. And this is why we kill ourselves trying to, this is why we take steroids. This is why we lift our trucks and put big tires on them. This is why we climb mountains and die in the process, right? Because we're trying to show the world, I still got it, man. But you don't. In fact, what God is basically telling Adam is, look, man, you're half the man you used to be. And that is devastating for him. This is why, you know, my son, and again, I raised, we've raised two girls and our, our son. And when, my, when our boy, when he's little, man, there's like, there's nothing he couldn't do in his mind, right? Nothing. It's like, it's like he wanted to win. Like if he lost at a game, we, I mean, I, I hate to confess this, but we, we would let him win sometimes just because we, it was like we, had, we didn't want the whole place to be destroyed, you know? And, and, then, and then finally we had to stop that. And he turned out okay. But it's like he wanted to win at everything, you know? And he was so competitive. And it was always like it was about he wanted to show everybody he was strong. And he just, there's nothing he loved more than coming up behind me and like kicking me in the back of the leg as hard as he could. And, and it was fine when he's little. At some point I'm like, dude, you got to stop doing that. But he'd kick me. He'd laugh. And he'd go, yeah, gotcha. You know, we'd wrestle. And he'd always want to pin me. It's like that's the kind of thing that young men do. But you, the fact of the matter is God's saying to Adam, look, you're going to try things and you're going to fail. You're going to build stuff and it's going to fall down and people are going to laugh at you. You're going to be a disgrace. The best laid plans of mice and men often go awry and that's the world for you now. And all we do now in our life is we act out these parts. Women dress beautifully and alluringly saying, look at me. Men strut around confidently saying, I got this. And it's all a reenactment of the garden. It's all a desire to get back there. But it's so failed and flawed. And we wonder how we end up in the mess that we're in. And you see that isn't very long before, you know, this is the typical story, right? The couple gets married. And you know, the, all the fun and romance of the dating, because when you're dating, it's so fun, right? You first start, because you're like, you're figuring out each other and you're, you're trying different things and you're, you're like calling them and texting them at certain times of the day. And you're like, oh, someone, they, they, she texted me or, you know, she did. So like all these gifts that you bring each other and the little things that you do, and it's so fun. And then you get married and then what happens? Real life starts to set in, right? And all of a sudden she's like, man, he's not bringing me the raspberry mocha frappuccinos like he used to and leaving little notes on my car window at work like he used to. He's not bringing me flowers like he used to. It's like, what happened? And she starts to wonder and doubt whether he feels the same that he used to. So, so she starts to kind of shut down a little bit, right? Because in the busyness of life, this is what happens. She senses she's not as enamored by him anymore. And then on his end, things start going bad at work and he's not the hero he thought he was and he starts to question himself. So when he comes home, he's like, he's got to be a hero somewhere, right? So he goes home, goes online and, and he can be a hero in the virtual world, right? On his little avatar. And he can go and he can get lost in a world of fantasy where he can be this great hero that's like slaying the dragon and everything else. And everybody knows all over the world he's with, with the people that he's playing with on these games. Like, this is how he ranks. He can always know where he stands. Meanwhile, he's checked out of the family. So now she's coming after him and she's criticizing him. She's trying to do that domineering thing, right? What are you doing? The kids don't even know their dad. 
And then, of course, this doesn't uh, bode well for him. And he looks back at her and he wonders, why doesn't she take care of herself like she used to? You know, she used to eat really well and work out and care about her clothes and her, her hair. And now, and, you know, it was like, it was a huge signal of respect to him. Like, man, I got this really wonderful, well put together lady. But now he's looking at her and he's like, you know, you're basically just more of our kid's mom than you are my wife. And these are the kind of thoughts that begin to circle and it spirals further and further. And is it any wonder when we see these kinds of things happening, he stops feeling like a hero. She stops wondering or stops believing that she's beautiful. And, and, and they, where they used to be able to affirm one another naturally through intense you know, communication and affirmation, and it was part of the deal because it was new, then they settle back. And then one day he's at work and the young intern begins to say, wow, you're so great at what you do. Wow, you're like, you're brilliant how you put this thing together. And that old spark starts to reignite, right? That old th spark starts to reignite. And then she's on Facebook and some dude from the graduating class of 2001 private messages her and says, hey, I always thought you were beautiful back in 11th grade. What are you up to these days? And then they're starting to trade messages at 2 a.m. because he's sleeping and she sneaks out and they're doing little messages back and forth and she starts getting that little rekindling of, wow, someone cares about me and it's off to the races, baby. And isn't that what happens? Is it really that hard for us to understand? So what's the solution? Well, the first thing and the only thing that I would say when it comes to our relationships with one another is that we have to understand what we both need in our, in our human relationships, especially as married couples. And it's very simple. She needs love and he needs respect. That's it. She needs love and he needs respect. So like, guys, there's some guys out there who when they say, when their wife is complaining because they don't feel loved, they say, well, I told you I loved you. And it's like whenever I hear it in the past tense, if I'm doing counseling, I know that this guy doesn't get it. Because women, it's a, it's a present tense thing. You need to, no, you don't say, I told you I love you. I need to, she needs to hear, I tell you I love you. Like she needs to say, he'd be able to say, I tell her I love her. I want to be, it's present tense, continuous action. Almost like, it's kind of like, you know, like today, I went to Chipotle for lunch. And he said, well, why did you go to Chipotle? You just went to Chipotle yesterday. Yeah, but that was yesterday. I can't, it won't, that won't do for more than like eight hours, right? I had to have it again because it, well, that was yesterday. So even if just food in general, well, why are you wanting to eat today? You ate yesterday. Duh, that's just dumb, right? You don't say that. It's a continuous thing. So guys, you gotta be verbally filling the tank of that woman in your life and reminding her of these things. You need to answer the question she is asking, am I beautiful? Am I worth fighting for? Am I worth your effort and sacrifice? Now, ultimately, she's got to get that from God. She does, but she needs to audibly hear it from you and see it in the way in which you treat her. And, and incidentally, it's one of those things where the more effort you begin to put towards her in that way, the more you yourself will find that you're valuing her. This is one of those cases where behavior begins to set the tone for beliefs. We often think that beliefs drive behavior, and sometimes they do, but it's much more the case that behavior drives beliefs. And as you behave different and speak different, the emotions will follow. So many people are waiting for the emotions. Well, I just don't feel it anymore. 
Well, I don't care if you don't feel it. If you're married and you have one of these, I'm sorry, your feelings aren't really that relevant when it comes to the responsibility you have to answer the question that your wife is asking. Now, the other thing about this that's really interesting, and I've never really kind of, this, this is why I've taught this a lot of times, and then other stuff jumps out at me that wasn't there before. Look at verse 20. Because after all this takes place, it says, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. Now, I always just repass it like, that's like, that's like a, you know, like a afterthought. Like, oh, yeah, by the way, he named her Eve. And then I read this again. I went, well, that's really huge. Because remember we talked about Adam's job as the man is to name the animals, right? He, he names stuff. And whatever he calls it, that's its name. And there's this beautiful picture of what Adam does. And you don't realize, you just read past it. The here is Adam now. Adam and Eve are in this fallen world. And Eve's main source of frustration and insecurity is going to be around her family, her husband and her children, right? Am I beautiful and all those kinds of things? And am I going to be able to be someone who, who even will be able to reproduce or whatever else? Because now it's going to be painful. And what does he do? He names her. He names her Eve and tells her, you're going to be the mother of all the living. And it's this beautiful reaffirmation after this great fall, this beautiful reaffirmation of her role and her purpose and the confidence that he has in her. He names her that. And guys, you know, the words that come out of your mouth speak to the identity of the woman in your life. That she hangs on those things. And when they are not there, she will dry up and eventually find those words somewhere else. Now, so guys, give your wife a name. I mean, she has a name, but, but give her a name. Speak words over her of who you think she is. It's a beautiful thing. Speak life into her. Now, ladies, the number one thing he needs to hear from you, this is so huge. The number one thing he needs to hear from you is not, I love you. I love you is great. My wife tells me she loves me. It's very nice. I go, oh, thank you. I love you too. It's, and I appreciate it. But that doesn't do it for me as much as something else that she says. And she doesn't say it as often, and, I, and it's okay because it's not required as often. But when she says it, it's very powerful. Instead of saying, I love you, what really gets me is when she says, I believe in you. I believe in you. That's a different story, right? Because you can love, and you can love your dog, you can love this amplifier, you can love, you know, I love you, she loves the kids, I love the kids, I love the kids, I love you, I love, but when you say I believe in you, that's a whole different story. Because when she says that to me, she's affirming, in her mind, she actually believes that I have what it takes. And sometimes I don't know if I have what it takes. Sometimes I look at my life and I go, man, Jacobs, you got some problems, man. Like, you really messed this up. You didn't think this through. How are you going to get yourself out of this mess? What's going to happen now? And it's, and it's like you, you question your, your, your confidence and you question your ability. You question and you compare yourself to other people that might be wildly more successful than you. But when you say, I, I, I believe in you and I respect you, not the kind of respect that's subservient, like I respect you, but the kind of say, I respect you for who you are. And ladies, don't you want to have a man in your life that you respect? That's everything. Okay? So, when you try to dominate and control and when you question everything, when you complain all the time, when you're like, well, what if, what if you do this and this doesn't work out? What if you do that and that doesn't work out? And what about this? What about that? And you're always questioning and you're always afraid, 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 afraid. And the dude's like, 
man, I, I don't get it. Like, why do we even, what, what am I to you? Like, you don't trust me at all. And not that you just, not that the guy, you're supposed to make decisions together. And believe me, you know, my wife and I, we make decisions together. I don't just, I've learned a long time ago, you don't just go off and like, there's been several times like I, sh- I showed up with like a new car, you know, hey, look what I got. And she's like, okay. So you only do those kinds of things like once or maybe twice if you're really dumb. But after that, you make decisions together, right? It's just smart. But in any case, so this is what happens. But when ladies, when you say, I believe in you, you take him back to the garden. You take him back to the place where maybe he does feel like a superhero. Maybe he does believe that he's a rock star. Maybe he does believe that he can do it. And he needs it. And I'm telling you, it's like I was talking to this one guy, and he was saying how his wife was just criticizing every little thing that he was doing. And he's like, man, I'm done. And it's, it's, it's a bad thing, you know. So in any case, what happens? Well, Adam and Eve are banished from the garden, right? We could read all about that. And, and, and we still are banished from the garden. See, here's the crazy thing. If you look at this story, all this stuff happened, and we are living in the aftermath of it. Like, we're still outside the garden. The garden is there somewhere, and we, can't, we haven't been able to go back into it. Someday, in a place called heaven, it'll even be better than the garden, but what we were made for, we can't go into now. So what does God do? Well, look at verse 21. He does something really amazing. It says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Now, this is really important. You know why? Because when Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They realized they were naked, and so they sewed fig leaves together for themselves to cover their nakedness. Well, I don't know if you've ever worn fig leaves. I have not. Um, Never worn fig leaves. There was a time when I was a junior high pastor that um, we were doing some kind of Hawaiian thing, and there were these like coconuts, you know, that I wore um, as part of a grass skirt thing. So I wore some coconuts and a grass skirt. Um, and I have a picture of that somewhere, but I won't put it up here because it's scary and awful. But that's about the most that I've ever done, okay? But I've never worn fig leaves, but I can't imagine they'd be very comfortable. And it's, now it's, the weather's not going to be so good either. So God does something amazing. He makes a garment of skin for them. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife. So God made them better clothes. Why? So they would fit them, that they would last, and they would keep them warm, and they would be right for them now in this new world. He prepared them. But there's another aspect of this that can't be missed here. Because in order for there to be an animal skin that was made, an animal had to die. A life had to be taken. Blood had to be spilled. I was at a restaurant the other day, and they gave me my food, and I had like this lamb and chicken and this like uh, other, like this big bratwurst thing, and uh, they brought it to me, and I looked at the lady, and I said, a lot of animals had to die for this plate that I'm eating here. Um, it's awesome. It's amazing stuff. Anyway, um, but yeah, you know, you think about that. What's important about that? That a sacrifice had to be made. There is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And you know what's amazing to me? Is that God didn't demand it from Adam and Eve. In order to take care of them, in order to provide for them, in order so that they would be able to live successfully in this new world, he, yeah, it's going to be brutal in some ways, and it's going to be hard. And it's just like, Adam, you know, dude, the very ground you were meant to rule is going to bury you. 
You were meant to be here. You're going six feet under, dude. From dust you are and dust you will return. And that's brutal. That's, there's no doubt that that's brutal. But God is with them. And he sacrifices for them. And what that did back in Genesis 3 was begin a pattern that's repeated on and on and on, like ad infinitum, all the way up to the great sacrifice that he provided himself in the person of Jesus. Because God does not demand any of our blood be shed for our own sin. Isn't that amazing when you think about it? All the things that you've done wrong in your life, all the people that you've hurt, all the ways that you've basically given God the middle finger. And he doesn't demand blood from you. He offers his own blood because he loves you. And that, that very concept is hearkened back to and begun all the way back from the very beginning as the first consequence of the very first sin. Yeah, life's brutal, but I'll be with you and I love you, and I'll remain with you, and I'll always be pursuing you. Guys, the way back to manhood and womanhood, the answer to the deepest question you're asking can be affirmed in some way in each other, but ultimately it has to be found in God. And ladies, the reason why God shed his blood for you is because he sees your value, and he sees you as beautiful. He sees you as worth fighting for and dying for. And man, the reason that the blood was shed for you was because God says, I believe in you. I made you in my image. And I made you to be a warrior. And I made you to stand up and to speak truth and to be courageous and to care for the people in, the light, in your life around you. But you can't do it on your own. It's a beautiful thing. So I want us to think about this, because where are you at? Where are you at? Have you heard the answer to that question? Do you know who you are? Because you can only truly know who you are when you're found in Christ. I'm going to ask Gabe to come out. He's going to lead us in a little song. And while, he's, while we're, we're reflecting on this, I just want you to think about your relationship with God right now. Do you know him? Have you received his forgiveness? Because while I told you that there's blood that was shed for you, the reality is he, he doesn't just, just say no matter what. If you don't want it, he doesn't give it to you. You're free to go your own way. You're free to do your own thing. But forgiveness is there. And I know there's a certain number of you here right now who are just struggling. You're hurting. You know, there's guys in here wondering, man, do I have what it takes? I feel like I've built so much stuff and it just falls down. I try so hard and nothing works. Everyone's given up on me. God hasn't. He loves you. And he brought you here to tell you that. He's not done with you. And there's others of you, you ladies, who, who you're like, God, all my life I just, I just wanted to hear the words that I matter, that I'm beautiful that I'm worth fighting for, that I'm worth attention. And if that's you, the Spirit of God is, has written pages of Scripture to tell you that over and over and over again. He's not done with you. He's been watching over you. He gave his very best for you. 
trust him. Trust him. God, we, we know that the day that true love died, the walls in our hearts came crumbling down, came crashing down. God, we, we, we got so many problems in our world. We got so many problems in our own lives. We're confused. We don't know how to do this. We don't know what it, we don't know how to be men and women the way you want us to be. We're struggling. We're living outside of the, the garden. And so we throw ourselves on your mercy and we ask that you would speak the words to us that we need to hear. And that we'd start with grace and that we'd feel its power. You're not demanding anything from us like these ridiculous other conceptions of you that run around. People believe that you're angry no matter what, that you're so hard to get to know and so hard to understand and you're just not worth following because you're so confusing and all this stuff. God, you came to us. Teach us what it means to be men. Teach us what it means to be women. Help us to go to the right places for those answers. God, I pray that we would shine this beautiful, radiant light as men and women, the way you intended us to be, with clarity, not confusion, not, not uh, with contempt for our gender, not with contempt for our bodies, not with contempt for even our backgrounds, but with gratitude for how you made us. Help us stand proud for who we are in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.